Welcome to LOA Today. I'm Walt Thiessen. With me today are Louis D'Souza and Anne-Marie Young. This is your Daily Dose of Happy. We are so happy you decided to join us today. Indeed we are, and we're excited to get this whole week of LOA Today episodes off and running. I was just noticing that this is episode number 1900, so we've actually reached another milestone here on the program. And uh, as people have asked me in the past, you know, well, could, could you imagine getting to 1900? I could remember getting to 900. I mean, that was just even out of range. <laughs> 1900, you got to be kidding me. Yeah, but somehow we got here, and we got here by having fun. So speaking of fun, because he's all about the fun, Louis D'Souza is sitting in front of his faux living room and, and just you know soaking stuff in here. How are you doing, my friend? I'm very good, and you? <laughs> good to hear. Good to hear. And Anne Marie sitting in the office, and and you, you all, you're you're a little dressed up today. Like, Am I? Oh, I thought she washed my hair for once. That's why. <laughs> oh, is that what it is? Oh, all <laughs> it's right. It's not usually clean. <laughs> she, she slicked back. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> no, you look really nice. It's great. Oh, bless you. Thank you, Walt. I'll take that compliment. Good, good. Well, we have to receive compliments. Otherwise, we kind of don't give them the energy that they deserve. So, yeah, good. I like that. Speaking of which, we've got somebody who's all about the energy. Her name is Crystal Ann Compton. And Crystal, first of all, thank you for joining us on the program today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be here. You guys have good energy. We do, don't we? <laughs> you yeah. Do. Yes. I'm so grateful for that. So we need you to contribute to the energy by giving us a little bit of a, 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 an autobiography. Tell us about yourself. Sure. Hmm. <laughs> do you want the longer version or the abridged version? I'll give you a, somewhere in the middle. How about that? That sounds um, like a plan. Yeah. I was born and raised in Hawaii, and I only mention that because Hawaii is just inherently a mystical, kind of magical place. Mm -hmm. My father was also born and raised in Hawaii. And so I kind of grew up with this um, very spiritual context, not really knowing that it was like that. I was a very psychic child. I re like my first memory is not of my mother or my father. It's of two tree people that I used to sit in my bedroom and talk to every single day. Wow. I could still describe them to you and, and how they felt to me. Um, and I also was able to see energy around people and shapes. And this was also natural to me. And the one thing that I had in my corner was that I could go to my parents who were also quite psychic and kind of tell them what was happening in my life. And instead of them kind of shutting me down or telling me it's my imagination, they were able to help me navigate the world of spirit, especially my mom, who was just wildly clairaudient. She could hear things all the time. And she was always off in some corner, just chirping to the spirits. And so I had her just a really kind of um, magical, sparkly childhood in that sense. But at the same time, my parents were very dysfunctional. My father was a substance abuser and an abusive abuser mm. and um, was really, really acute during my childhood. And I mentioned this because I think, I think the quality of my childhood, that energy actually accelerated my intuition. Like I was able to tell, you know, hours before my dad ever came home, whether it was going to be a good night or a bad night. Mm. And I could kind of lean into that and, and determine what was going to happen and why and, and, and try to do things ahead of that to help my mother, help our family. So it was just an interesting life. We, we were also very, very poor. Like I didn't have running water. I didn't have electricity. Poor, poor. Um, and so just like in the earth <laughs> of the mm -hmm. earth and flying by the seat of my pants. Um, when I was a teenager, my friend invited me to her assembly of God church and I said yes. And I went. And when I tell you, I felt the presence of something in that church. And I don't know if any of you have ever been to like a Pentecostal church, but those people are wild. Yes. They're like, they're like healing, they're prophesying, they're mm -hmm. you know, speaking in tongues. And it felt very psychic to me. It just felt like a match for who I was. And so I ended up converting to Christianity, much to my father's chagrin, because he was an animist. And thus started my like decade long journey through Christianity and literalism, um, which caused me to tamp down a lot of my abilities because a lot of them didn't fit in the structure of that. Like my normal yeah. clairvoyance, uh, my clairaudience would have 
been labeled as demonic. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, I really felt a connection to something higher than myself or something that was in myself that I was inherently connected to. And I loved exploring that. Hmm. But at some point, you know, it, it came time for me to leave religion and I did and set on a journey to kind of return to the little girl sitting in her bedroom talking to tree people and wondering, like, as a 26-year-old woman, like, what was that? <laughs> How did I do that? And why can't I really do that anymore? Mm. I was out of practice because it was no longer part of my natural framework. And so I started studying. In particular, I started studying Edgar Casey, who was also a Christian, mm -hmm. yep. but he was very psychic. Very. And slowly but surely over time, over the years, my intuitive abilities came back online. And that's what I focused on. My sister's been a big fan of Edgar Casey for years and years and years. So when you mentioned that, Absolutely. I said, oh, okay, I get where she's coming from. Yeah. Yeah. And I love Casey because he had a lot of integrity. First of mm -hmm. all, he never charged for his readings, which I no. don't, that's not necessarily a sign of integrity, but he really had a heart for service. Mm -hmm. He wasn't a liar. He wasn't a charlatan. Mm -hmm. um, and he poured himself into his ministry. And when things started to come through the channel of Casey that ran counter to his religious indoctrination, it really challenged him. Like when things about Atlantis started coming through or past lives, he's like, whoa, that's kind of sacrilegious, but he kept with it. Yeah. He kept with the channel. He kept with the work. So I have a lot of admiration for him. I have a lot of admiration for anybody under any circumstances who is willing to go with what's within when it is in conflict with what's external. That Because yes. that's a tough, that's a challenging position to be in. And I think we all face it at one point or another in, in one way or another. But it's still, it's, it's a challenge. And when people choose the inside, I say, yeah, I like that person. And, you know, I'll take it one step further and say for someone who is like heavily indoctrinated in Christianity, it's a very fearful place to be when yeah, you leave sure. and you set out on your own and <clears throat> you, you're called a backslider and an apostate <clears throat> and you're called <clears throat> demonic and all of these things. And you wonder for a period of time, like, am I though? Maybe I am. Maybe I've been deluded, but you have to trust that inner sense, which is what I, what I did. And I walked that path alone for many years, <clears throat> figuring it out for myself. You know, it's definitely the, it's the most effective way to do it, but it's also the hardest way to do it. Yes. I remember when I started breaking away from Christianity, um, I thought, yeah, I've broken away from it. And then I started to realize how strongly the links into it were <laughs> many years before I'd actually broken away from it completely. Yes. Especially yeah. when you enter as a child, you know, I don't know yes. how old you were in yes. Christianity, but it's just such a part of the fabric also of your being. Yes. So it's, you're just so easily influenced when you're younger and it takes a long time to exorcise that stuff out mm -hmm. of your energy. I mean, but here's the thing since leaving this was when I was 26 years old. So like half of my life ago is when I left Christianity, I have come back around in many respects, full circle to the man, Jesus, for example, mm. or to Christ consciousness, for example. Um, I believe in, in the being, the avatar that is Christ is just in a different way. And I experience Jesus in such a different way. Absolutely. You're more focused on what, what you like or agree with or believe that he did rather than what the church kind of told you yes. to think or believe. Yeah. And it, in my experience. And it's good in everything. Yeah. Yes. In my experience, I think also, um, if you're willing to know Jesus as he truly is, which we could call an energy or a force or a grid of consciousness. I don't care. I don't think Jesus cares. But if you are willing <laughs> to have that mean, relationship. He's not keeping score? Really? Oh, my not. goodness. <laughs> no, he's not. He, he, you can have experiences with Jesus, encounters with Jesus in a totally different way, which I have gone on to do. Mm. Like I've meditated with Jesus. You know, I've had my own little personal lessons with Jesus. And these are the most profound teachings of my life. But you have to be willing to kind of let all this other stuff fall away to have that mm. real experience, what we would call gnosis. Crystal, have you come across Carolyn Weiss? I mean, I know of her. I've never studied her and I always want to, but, mm. I, but no. So I would have to say no. No, it's just fascinating because she was also brought up in Christianity. <laughs> yeah. And uh, um, yeah, I remember she was sitting in her car one day and she just got to that point. She said, God, just tell me what the hell to do. <laughs> and, uh, 
um, or I'll just kill, not kill myself. Well, she, she did actually use those words, kill myself, but she didn't mean it in, in the physical sense. And, uh, then she started driving and she landed outside a nunnery and then she went inside and she started taking a course straight away and then whole life just opened up and unfolded. But, um, she was a, uh, a spiritual, um, what do they call it? Um, an intuitive. A medical intuitive? A medical intuitive, that's the mm-hmm. word she uses. Mm-hmm. So she'll just look at you and she'll say, oh, at this age you had a miscarriage and this age you had an abortion and this age this happened and that happened to your body and this happened. And she could read it just, just like looking at a book. And uh, she was really quite fascinating because somebody would – this medic guy who was studying medical intuitives um, – uh, he, she saw him at a, at a meeting and she met him and she, she said to him, I'm a medical intuitive. She says, uh, and the first thing he said to her is, how good are you? And, <laughs> how good are you? <laughs> and she landed up giving her, giving him her card. And, uh, one day he just called her up out of the blue and said, I've got Jane here. She's, what do you need to know about her? She said, nothing. So just let me turn this off. I didn't know it was on. Um, she said, uh, don't tell me anything. Um, she said, she's this, she's that, she's had this done and that done. And then she was, she, she put the phone down, um, when it was, he put the phone down when they were finished and that was it. She never heard anything. So he had no idea if she was good, bad or indifferent. And the only reason she surmised she might've been good is because he called her up again with somebody else and then <laughs> slowly but surely. So yeah, she's quite a fascinating woman and everything she's, she's been through in her life and where she is at the moment and how she's changed over time. So yeah, am I? I just wondering if you knew her because I thought you might relate quite well. Mm. I know of her and I've like mm. in passing heard some of her things, but I will definitely, I've, I've been meaning to definitely get into her work. I really should. Yeah, she's the ar- like, archetype lady, right? Archetypes? Yeah, she does such. do that as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as, right. Yeah. So this is that universal tap on the shoulder saying, okay, you know that thing you've been it's, thinking about doing? It's time. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, Anne Marie, we don't know anything about those taps on the shoulder, do we? No. Okay, that's why I've got these frills on. <laughs> I don't listen to the taps on the shoulder, only this one. Only that shoulder, not the other one. Oh, okay. so, so is that like the good, the good oh, fairy and the bad fairy? my Christian or, upbringing, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Devils on the left shoulder. Oh Lord, yeah. Okay. Right. Oh, so we're, we're having that. We're having that at the moment. My because my daughters go to a CAV school, Church of England school, and one of them's coming home talking about the devil and things like that, and I'm like. Darling, let, let's not go down that road. <laughs> and I want them to be open and have that whole, like, yeah, it's, it's your choice. And, you know, I'll tell you my ideas. But when they come home talking about the devil and I'm, all this bad stuff, and I'm just like, it's not like that, sweetie. It's not. And my daughter went to Catholic school, parochial school, and her father was a cradle Catholic. And I was not. <laughs> I was not. And so I was able to kind of give her that counterbalance, you know, and the freedom to think for herself, but also the education within the within the church and within the school but she's a medium so the mediumship got her (laughs) it definitely seems to run in your family indeed yes yes and i'm wondering whether there's something to this idea that there is a psychic lineage because i know people claim that and i don't doubt it um but i also think it's just your especially as parents of children, your willingness to just nurture their sensitivities generally and not put limitations on them. See, that's what my parents never did. Mm. They allowed me to believe that I was talking to tree spirits and give me some information on how to talk to them more or like how to interpret the things that I was seeing. I think when we do that for children, we free them into the world, the 3D world, but also the world of spirit and also teach them how not to be afraid of it because it can be scary out there. For a child. You know, the way I kind of do, uh, I just want to throw one thing. I love the balance here too, because on the one hand you were talking about um, the dysfunctionality that was in your family, mm-hmm. but now you're talking about the functionality. Mm-hmm. Yes. Both elements mm-hmm. in the same yeah. family. And, and and we kind of, we, we have a tendency to dismiss that possibility, but actually that's the norm. You don't, yes. you don't really get pure dysfunction or pure functionality. Yes. I've never met anyone who didn't have a little bit of dysfunction in their family, no. a little bit of trauma really. <laughs> But it took me a long time because of the nature of my father's abuse to really kind of zoom out, go meta and realize, oh, as a soul, he 
agreed to play a very important role in my life. Mm. And at the soul level, that was probably a sacrifice of some kind for him. And it, it took me many years to not be angry and reactive, but I really am at a place of deep gratitude for just how terrible he really was because all mm. of the lessons and all of my need to heal came from, you know, my interactions with my father. So I'm yeah. grateful. But I'm also 54. It took a while. <laughs> a long time. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Lou, I interrupted you. What, what were you coming in with? Um, Crystal was just talking about it being in the genes. You know, the way I like looking at it is the genes is really a vibration, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And the way I kind of look at it is apple doesn't fall far from the tree, you know, because you're in that vibration, you share it with your kids. And I've got two daughters and, uh, you know, I can see them picking up <laughs> the the apples. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Whether you want them to or not, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's always the challenge, isn't it? Because as a parent, you, you're, you're really very aware of just how much attention the kids pay to you mm-hmm. because it, it, it mirrors back to you continuously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It does. And even the things you think you're hiding from them or trying yeah. to protect them from, Good luck. they're picking up on it. And the, <laughs> yeah. the, the thing about like epigenetics and like ancestral patterns being passed down, I believe that a hundred percent, like I have some longstanding issues of the body and mind that I kept very well hid. And I still hide some of this from my daughter, which she has naturally outpictured in her own life. And I'm like, how I tried so hard, but it's because my mom passed it down to me. I passed it down to her. Mm. I've been dealing with that kind of thing myself, actually. And in fact, I had a good conversation with, with a friend um, who's been on the show before, uh, Stacey Planet, for people who keep track. Uh, we, we were chatting about some of my own history. My own family history includes a lot of financial uh, dysfunctionality. Mm-hmm. And there was one particular instance, I won't go into the details of it, but uh, there was one particular thing that I've been, I've been wrestling with and I, I kept uh, struggling. Like, why, why do I keep running into this? Why do I keep running into this? And I knew that it was something that had been passed along because there were instances of it going back. I know of at least three generations and probably longer than that. And yet I, I felt like, well, I should be able to shake this. I should be able to shake this off. And I'd done a lot of work to shake it off and, and made a lot of progress. And yet I knew there was still this, this one little thing that was nagging at me. So I was talking to Stacy about it and she pointed out to me that what I was taking as a spiritual message being passed to me by inner being, by, uh, you know, the, the stream of consciousness, whatever you want to call it, um, was actually not that. It was actually a filter that had come through a person who had explained to me what was mm-hmm. coming to me from um, the, the, the stream of, of source consciousness. And it was, it was a case of, well, why didn't I recognize that? Yeah. But once it was pointed out, it was like, yeah, that's true. And, and of course, when you have that kind of a breakthrough, I had an instant, you know, release of weight, like everything was coming off my shoulders. So this epigenetics is one way to describe it. There are lots of ways to describe it, but whatever it is, when we do achieve breakthroughs with it, it's, it's big. It's very big. big. And I would also say that when we heal something in our present life that is connected to the ancestral line, we heal it in the ancestral line as well. Mm. And I think the reason so much turmoil and chaos is happening on the planet is because our collective shadow, this karmic shadow that we have is making itself known so that we can heal it for now and for our lineage as well. And so I think so many people, when shadow bubbles to the surface or when limited limiting thoughts or things, you know, patterns that we've indulged over time, we become conscious to it instead of like taking a beat and leaning into that and bringing in the light to heal and clear that we run from it and then Mm. perpetuate it. And we create more of it in our life because we, I think for me, for so many years, I was just afraid to have to like actually go back into that shadow because it's such a sticky place to be. You can re-traumatize yourself in shadow. And so you don't really want to hang out in the memories of all the things that hurt you. But there is a way to do this 
to actually fill yourself with light and go back into moments where you may have left parts of yourself behind and bring that love and light into those moments and free yourself. That's a big part of the work that I do. Um, it's timeline stuff. It's traveling those timelines back to parts of myself that I need to recollect. And I think a lot of us are here to do that right now, in fact. I've heard about timeline therapy, and I practice it myself. So when you've got a trauma <clears throat> that's sticking in your life currently, you go back before that. And when you go back before that, the incomplete weight is lifted from that trauma because mm. it happened. This was before it happened. And, um, I found it incredibly therapeutic, um, myself. And it's just really a mental exercise. It's just to do, to go back before the trauma <clears throat> and experience that. So uh, you go back if, before the trauma and then do you orient from that space? Like how yes. does going, going back to a time before negate well, what, what happens after? Because um, in timeline therapy, uh, basically, uh, it, it's it's the concept of of looking at your life in a timeline, and certain events happened at certain times in that timeline. Mm -hmm. So once you go visualize yourself in the time before the event happened, um, and you can actually feel and live it, then the weight of that that experience just vanishes. And mm -hmm. I didn't believe it was possible, but I found it incredibly powerful. I thought I'd mention it to you because you're talking about timeline uh, Interesting. therapy, That's but I wonder if you've ever heard of that aspect of it. Yeah. I have not. And in fact, I discovered this on my own. I thought it was my bright idea. And then I realized people have been doing inner child stuff forever. But I mean, I was, I was back in Hawaii kind of feeling the echoes of the trauma. And I was out at a beach. I was like on this rock cliff and I felt my father come to sit down next to me. He'd been long past. And in my mind's eye, I just saw all of these memories, many of which I had forgotten due to trauma. And I was just moved or inclined to go back into those memories that I could see and feel and interact with myself at those ages and say, it's okay. You know, I mm. love you. Come with me. You're okay now. And I walked myself through this process. And to say that I felt a million times lighter afterwards is an understatement. Just mm. giving your these aspects of yourself space to be and be witnessed and express themselves is so powerful because it, truly they're lost in the timeline until we mm -hmm. go and collect them. And they're animating us to some degree. They're puppeting some of our behavior now, but we're just not making those connections until we get back in and go and get them in my experience. Interesting term puppeting. Yes. Mm -hmm. our, well, our, our, our beliefs, our behavior, our, our beliefs, our patterns, concepts of self, divine and otherwise, this always, this all animate us and puppet our behavior. Yes. It's, it's a metaphor I hadn't heard used in that way. So I'm kind of, I was intrigued by it. I'm, well, I'm all, I'm also intrigued too. Well, go ahead and make your comment. I was just gonna say, I, I don't want to be a puppet. And I think the difference, like in the law of attraction is to move from a reactive life where you are being puppeted by the matrix or whatever you want to call it, plus your inner demons to an intentional one where you are the consciousness making the decision as to what you would like to feel and to create. So that's been a big part of my work. So, Sorry to interrupt you though. No, that's right. So basically the, the inverse of, of being a puppet is being a conscious creator is essentially yes. what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. I like that. Um, now you used another term and anytime I hear this term, I always want to find out what the definition is from that person in the way that they used it. Use the word karmic. Yes. What, is, what does karma mean to you? Because I, I, I hear lots of interesting definitions. Yeah. Faded. Um, faded meant for you to work out. Something that, but I believe as a soul, you built into your own blueprint. I mm -hmm. do not believe in compulsive karma where I'm on this endless wheel and 17 centuries ago, I murdered somebody and now in this life, I've got to pay it back and I'm going to be poor. I don't believe in that at all. I believe we're all self-determining as consciousness says. But at the same time, I feel that we made plans for ourselves and that would be what I would consider to be karmic. As a collective, I think we are dealing with things that we have done before, um, societally, culturally, and all of this. I think we are presently given the opportunity to clear some of this karmic debt, if you will. But I, I don't subscribe to the idea of the karmic wheel, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. 
Yeah, it okay. makes sense to me anyway. I mean, I can't speak for Lily and Anne Marie, but it makes sense to me. I mean, okay. <laughs> Anne Marie, does it make sense to you? It does make sense to me, but I just, I'm just could listen to this all day. So, <laughs> I, well, you, you're often quiet, but you're uncharacteristically quiet. That's why I keep coming back. Like, Emery, are you there? Hello. Oh no, I'm just second on it. It's really interesting because that timeline thing. Obviously, I, I've I've not didn't know it was like a natural therapy. It kind of makes sense because I have come across it, um, and I found it really beneficial. So yeah. I'm interested in more of that as well. Looking well plus, that. I mean, Alicia in, in the live stream says uh, timelines is my middle name. So apparently a, oh, a number of people yeah, are saying, oh, yeah, timelines. Absolutely. And if I could just offer something regarding timelines, there's, of course, the timeline work that we do with our past to clear things up and create space and potential in your now moment. But you can also work with the timeline of the future mm-hmm. and through uh, a protocol or a practice, you can actually create and identify an avatar of your future self, which is existing at the highest level, the highest level of, of possibility. And then you can tether yourself to it. And then you can magnetically align yourself to the trajectory of that. I don't know if I'm making any sense to you guys. You can do it backwards <laughs> and you can do it forwards as well. So if yeah. you feel like I'm not exactly where I'm supposed to be on the path. I've like made some, I've detoured here and there, made some bad choices, but I really want to align back to what it is I came here to do at the highest level. You can create this avatar and connect because that person exists right now. Well, in fact, that person is you and is always Mm -hmm. existing. Right. So. I'm also curious to know, um, it sounds like I'm, I'm kind of drawing an inference here. It sounds like you're also talking about what's known as soul contracts. Is that part of what you're talking about? Maybe, but you have to see (laughs) (laughs) so much of what I talk about, um, I have cobbled together for myself and and I've read a lot of books and I've taken classes and things like that. So I, I don't know if there's a philosophy or a book out there about soul contracts. Carolyn Mace written one. Okay. (laughs) See, I got to get into that. (laughs) Um, Another tap on the shoulder. Right. It's the second time when something happens three times, that's when I know, Oh, I got to do it. But, But yes, kind of, because I kind of, I kind of articulated in the form of blueprints, like these maps that we created for ourselves and, you know, these plans that we had and all the people we were supposed to meet and all the things we were supposed to do good and bad in order to learn what we came here to learn. And I believe there's like at least three versions of that. Um, There's the highest level where we do all the things. We hit all the marks and we check out and we're like, I don't have to come back. I did it. I'm good. But most of us, I would say, probably don't complete this life at that level, we hit somewhere in the middle where we make some of those marks. We do some of the things. And then there are people who just don't do any of those things. I wonder if my dad was one of those people. I thought for a long time, oh, he just squandered it. He was such an intelligent, good looking, like so much potential. This He was a musician. He was a scientist. He was so smart, but he just squandered it all. And he died at, he died at 52, destitute you know, and an alcoholic and a heroin user. And I would always say, well, he checked out having not done any of the things. But in retrospect, I say, well, I'm very judgy. Who am Mm. I? Right. Mm. And what if he agreed to do all of that for me? Mm. So maybe he's hitting his, he's hitting his highest possible version, you know? (laughs) So that's kind of the theory under which I operate around contracts and things of that nature. Would you be who you are today if he wasn't as he was then? Absolutely not. not. Mm -hmm. Absolutely not. And I wouldn't have developed protocols, processes to heal myself and then be able to turn around and tell somebody else about how they can do that for themselves. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't. Do you know what? Mm -hmm. Sorry. Sorry. Do you know what Carolyn Mace calls somebody like you and me? What? Somebody who becomes a healer because of the trauma in their life. Yes. They, um, I had it just now. Um, Is it the wounded healer? Yes, the wounded healer. Yes, the wounded healer. So you and I are wounded healers. And she says there is a rare individual that has never been wounded, and that's a healer. She says they're very rare, but they Correct. are out there. 
Um, and I've never met one anywhere <laughs> on any level, but, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of us wounded healers out there. Yes. And I think when we have been wounded, it gives us a certain sense about others where we can sense it in them too. Mm. And we can hear it in the things that they say. We can feel <clears> it in their energy. If we're empathic, healers are often <clears throat> very empathic. So yeah. And I think a lot of us build that into our blueprint so that we can amass resources, knowledge, get out and then turn around and heal others. Yes. I had asthma as a kid and I often look at somebody wherever I meet them and, oh, you've got asthma, have you? How do you know? Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you can feel it. You can know it. You can sense it. Exactly. On, on so many levels. Yeah. Yes. It's funny as you're uh, Describing all this, I'm also thinking about uh, somebody that Amory knows well. His name is uh, David Strickle. He's a channeler who channels the stream of David, kind of similar to the way Esther Hicks channels Abraham Hicks. Um, the one thing that comes to my mind that the stream of David once said is that this lifetime is the equivalent from the, from the eternal viewpoint of one who is part of source energy, which we all are. Um, it, it's the equivalent of a weekend vacation. And so I kind of juxtaposed that with what you're talking about. I said, well, we have some very interesting weekend vacations, I have to we say. Sure <laughs> we sure do. It's not your typical weekend getaway going on here. <laughs> not at all. But I do think from a soul perspective, we were so eager to get here, especially right now at this time yes. in Earth's history. We're like tagging very in. So. We're going to go in there and we're going to, we're going to anchor it. We're going to shine the light. We're going to do so many things. I think that's why we came here. And Edgar Casey was the one who said, that many of the people who were alive in the time of Atlantis, uh, by the way, who also had their own issues, not unlike we are having currently, mm. have selected to incarnate again at this time because we're going through another iteration of this. And so we're coming back as souls to try and do it in a different way. So welcome, fellow Atlantans. We appreciate yes. you being part of the program. Absolutely. <laughs> it's quite funny because I'm having conversations with my seven-year-old and my, my older one is, she's hearing voices and stuff like mm. that and playing with orbs in the kitchen and things. She, you know, she's totally in tune. And it's quite funny because I'll just hear her, hear her go, yeah, one minute. And then she'll come in and go, yes. And I'll go, yeah, that wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody calling her, but it wasn't me. Um but my youngest one, who's who's very scared of things, usually, um, she's been talking a lot about like, was I your mother? Was I your dad? Are you, I mean, you, you're going to come back and you're going to come back as my daughter and just things like this. She's like talking about reincarnation wow. now. We were connected in the past. And when I come back, I'll be one of her children. And hopefully I'll still be around for the children. I'm hoping um, she's not going to kill me off that. But she does. <laughs> I'm very old um <laughs> but it's quite interesting how she's just come up with this this whole reincarnation thing so I'm just like yeah absolutely yeah well this is the time that it would emerge um until mm. they're about seven or eight years old they are so connected and and some science would say they are just in a state of hypnagogia or a type of trance until around seven or eight years old, just absorbing, just kind of moving around in a different mm. brain state and connected, therefore, to all these other things that we can't see or feel unless we do what we need to do to be sensitive to it. But yeah, my daughter forever was seeing dead people and nuns. And the, in fact, I have a picture of her looking up at the ceiling when she's like two and a half or three, talking to my father who had been dead for a couple of years, describing him using his name, which I had never told her. So from a very young age, she was just always in the world of spirit. Mm. I'm yeah. curious, what did your father have to say to her? Um, just loving things, mm -hmm. just there. Because in, in spirit, I think my father would have probably done things differently, perhaps, for me. Um, and so... My daughter has long felt a very strong connection to my father. He's just always been around her. He's also a very protective force. Mm. So he's just always been, he's always been in her corner. So very masculine in that sense. Very much. Hawaii is mm. a very machismo. Well, back then we're talking 60s, 70s. It was very machismo kind of a culture. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. My dad was like that. He carried it through. Yeah. He did. 
what what the what was your mom's energy? Was was she very much uh, the feminine energy, or what was she? Very much so. Um, and my dad just, you know, she ended up drinking to cope with all mm. of the things, and she developed her own substance abuse issues. So. F- when I was a child, she was largely not really present and conscious in that way. It was only later after my dad died and she came to live with me that she started to show kind of who she really was and her creativity mm-hmm. and her own psychic abilities. I mean, I would walk by my mom's bedroom. She lived in my house at the time and I would hear her emerging from sleep talking about changing her will. They were telling her about her insurance policies, all the things that she would need to make mm. sure she took care of. And she'd just be talking to them, not even knowing she was talking to them. She was special. Interesting. interesting. Very interesting. It's amazing what happens when people around whoever the person is, doesn't matter who the person is, are accepting of them. Yes. Then, then, yes. then stuff starts to come out. Yes. I, I often say the biggest obstacles to spiritual connection and development are other people <laughs> and their expectations of you or like how they're living their life in your presence. A lot of us live in homes with toxic people that are just creating thought forms 24 seven. Um, and it's just, it can be hard when there are people around you imposing those types of energies on you. Yeah, why do you think that happens though? What in particular? Well, why, why do you think that we end up in homes of, you know, where, where there are toxic people around us? Hmm. Karma. <laughs> so maybe some of that is, <laughs> maybe is built into the contract that somebody you wanted to come into. I think that a lot of us uh, prolong our karmic seasons with people because we don't know how to get out of situations. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes these people are a match for who we are, vibrationally speaking. And then we start to slowly get out of that and they don't know how to do that. And so we're stuck with them or we feel stuck with them. I mean, but if you've got someone toxic in your life, you got to do something about that. Mm-hmm. You can't just continue to allow that because they're changing the vibration of who it is that you are. So there's a whole, there's a whole protocol to ha- how to deal with that. <laughs> if you want but to get into it, I don't know. It's like you said earlier, though, Crystal, it's like that these people are also gifts. Because yes. if you didn't have mm. any of that toxic, if you didn't have any of that challenging behavior, then you yourself wouldn't grow and turn into the better version of yourself. So I find that quite interesting. Yes. But if I were an adult, I would not have, I would have not, I wouldn't have stayed around my father. No, no. So children have a different kind of an obligation and duty to their parents. But That's I think a, a lot of adults choose to stay in relationships that are doing direct damage to them. And we have to get a little brave to make some changes around that for sure. It's almost as if this weekend vacation is actually a trip to the gym. Maybe that's a better way to say it. Yeah. Working those <laughs> muscles. Yeah. Crystal. Yeah, we'll... uh, no, go ahead. At the age of eight, um, I've said this many times on the show, but you have never heard it. Um, at the age of eight, I said to my mom, what is truth, love, and God really about? And she went, huh? And I realized I had to find it out for myself. And, uh, you know, I, I came to understand that, you know, if there was no light, there'd be no darkness. If there was no valley, there'd be no mountain. If it's not up, there'd be no down. And that was a very important truth in life. And then I... Only many years later with Abram Hicks, I started to realize how that manifested in a human. And how it manifests in a human is when you know what you don't want, you have a better idea what you do want. Yes, contrast. Contrast, and contrast is your teacher. And, uh, you know, people say, why did you have an abusive father or whatever? It's contrast, isn't it? Yes. And if you have a good teacher, they bring contrast into your life. Absolutely. They show you contrast. And contrast can be in different levels, so you can go... You know, on the Abram Hicks, they talk about the emotional guidance scale, which you go from, say, depression to revenge to rage to anger to frustration to I don't care to hope, etc. Up the up the vibrational scale, and the contrast can be between um, hope and expectation is massive. Hmm. So you can have the uh, contrast at any level and in, in any way. So uh, that was just fascinating for me. Once I got that, it was like complete eye opener for me. It was like, oh, this is how it works. Yes. This is why this happens. Yes. They say pain is a, the greatest teacher. I don't know if I would go that far, but it certainly is a great teacher. 
Mm. Our hardships, our challenges teach us a lot if we are receptive to the lesson. That's an interesting point right there. Because it seems at times that people aren't being receptive. And yet, I think if you pull back far enough, speaking of timelines, if you pull back far enough that you can see the wide range of the timeline, I wonder if there's an instance where there isn't learning that goes on. I'm not so sure that, that you, you can go through experiences without having some kind of learning going on, even if it's not something that you demonstrate in some way. Well, I think there's the intellectual learning. Like, I know I'm learning this knowledge, but there's also shifts that take place in the energies. And then there's like the- Vibrational learning. Correct. Then there's like that afterlife review where I go back and say, oh, that's what I, I, this is what I'm learning from that. So there's all kinds of different ways Mm. to learn it. But I would say you're probably right. I think people are, some people are really, really deep in their reaction you know, and they're looping back and forth in the same kind of pattern, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're not learning something. Maybe they're just taking a very slow journey to that outcome that they want. Yeah, different people need different levels of repetition. That that's We've known that for a long time now. Yes. Some people, one time, bang, they got it. Some people, five times, okay, they got it after five times. Some people, they just got repeated for a while. Yes. And it's not going to be the same thing for one person from instance to instance. This thing took them 25 repetitions. That one they got in three. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. How long or how short it takes for you. Yeah. Time is an illusion. Yes. Doubly so at lunchtime. (laughs) 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 I I had to bring in Nature Hacker's Guide to Galaxy. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're not sorry. You love that part. Don't say you're sorry. You know you're not. Yeah, we bring that in every once in a while just to lighten <laughs> things up. <laughs> this is really interesting. Crystal, um, you, you, you've obviously covered a lot of stuff in your own uh, explorations that other people have covered in their own ways and written about and so forth. You're, you're reminding me of, I mentioned uh, David Strickle, um, the guy who, who channels the stream of David. One of the things that he told us about one time is that he thought he invented the law of attraction. He was shocked to find out somebody else actually had invented it. And that, as a term, it had actually been around over a hundred years before he even you know, was aware of it. But uh, I think that's a fairly, I won't say common. I think it's more common than people realize. Yes. I think, I, I think people are constantly reinventing and rediscovering stuff that other people have known about. And I'm wondering, first of all, what your perspective is on that particularly in regard to what we talked about before with epigenetics. I wonder how much of this is us connecting into that ancestral slash energetic stream of information. I think it could be that. I also think it could be an ascension of consciousness, meaning as we enlighten, which I believe is an incremental thing. You can have a Kundalini awakening and feel connected in an enlightened way, but mostly it's an incremental ascension. But as we do, we gain access to different levels of consciousness. And on each level, there is a type of information and knowledge. There are a type of a light being, if you will, there's a different energy and a quality of energy and vibration on that level. And so as soon as we hit that level, we have access to all of that. And so we can, we can call that new information, but it's always been there. It's just our consciousness that's shifting in order to be a match for it. Mm. And then we hit the next level. It's like when you're walking up a stairwell in a building, you get to floor two and there's a door and it doesn't stop there. You open the door and you walk down the hall. There's a room here. There's a room there. There's a room here. There's there's all this additional information that you can get or experience that you can get. I will tell you though, that I promise I wrote The Secret before The Secret ever came out. I was working on that book. It was written in the same kind of way. I was, I'm, and I think spirit does this. Spirit makes something available to anyone at that level. And it's whether you're able to spike into that, draw it down and do it. And if you don't, the next person will. It's all about advertising. So, so basically the difference is you weren't a producer for Australian television. That was the problem. That is correct. That's it. Yeah. But I mean, I think that spirit, I mean, and the secret again is just another version of something that had been said many, many, many times over, but it was said in a different way. And at a specific time that really cracked open a lot of people. Hmm. And so that was the, that was the possibility at the time on the planet. Well, I'm kind of curious also on that 
note. You, you, you were writing it. You, you just described how you were basically creating the same uh, approach that uh, Rhonda Byrne did. So when it came out, how did you feel about that? Like a ding dong, <laughs> like like I had missed the boat. Um, I immediately recognized like what was trying to come through me at the time. But I was I had a young child. I was busy. I also didn't really trust myself and my own creativity. And so I was slow. Like I just if I had applied myself and I'm not saying if I had and I released a book, it would have been the secret. I'm just saying that I can recognize that much of what showed up in that book was almost exactly in the form of what was coming through me. You you expressed it maybe a little bit differently from the way I would, but it really resonated with me. I guess the way I'd say it was, I didn't trust myself. I didn't yes. trust myself enough to go do that, to take it and run with it and just, you know, go. Just build yes. it. Yes. Yes. Imposter syndrome. Like me? Why me? <laughs> right. Me? Right. <laughs> Isn't that part of the learning process that we were talking about? Oh, yes. Like my biggest, juiciest thing that I like, to think about and talk about is just divine concept of self. I really feel like the reason so many of us are in states of reaction and chaos is because we don't understand who we are. We are misidentifying with the infrastructure of this reality, the matrix, the Maya, like this 3D, Instagram, social media, politics, <laughs> war, all of this stuff. We are identifying with this and not who we actually are, which is the gag because when we give our power away, we are disempowered and we're not creating. We're not the conscious creators. And so what I really love to talk about when I talk about things is you were created in the image of the creator. Jesus said you are all gods. You are magical. Now start creating something. Start getting <laughs> intentional and creating it. And only we can do that. And most of us, when we hear that, we say, but who, me? And it's, it only can be you. Neville Goddard said everything is just you pushed out. That's right. Take, say, take a look at the screen of your life. How are you liking that? Maybe it's time for us to get intentional about what we're creating individually, but also as a collective. Why do you think we're so scared of going for it? Going for what in particular? Going for the belief that, yes, I am the God. Yes, I am the creator. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm going to start creating. I'm going to do it right now. Why do we keep holding back? Well, because we have parents who said, you're going to fail. You're never going to do that because we've had that. We've, we've had it modeled to us by other people, but also the entrainment of this reality. Like we are plugged into this reality, which has been created to disempower us. I would say in my, in my opinion, but as a soul, we came here knowing this and also that we would contract amnesia and forget who we are. And for us, it was the game of remembering who we are and shifting the reality of this, which is what people talk about when they talk about shifting from 3D to 5D. This isn't a mass rapture where we all leave the planet and go somewhere else. This is a change of consciousness on this planet and changing what is being outpictured. And so I think people, I think people are laboring under the oppression of the illusion. And they think, well, that must be what I am. And Instagram must be what I should be. And I'm not that. So I'm not, I don't have power. I don't have innate value. And everything we focus on is taking us out of ourselves. Right. And so we, we, the call is get back into yourself. The kingdom of heaven is inside of you. And it has been the who, entire time. Who, who says heaven's not on earth, but we're making a mess of it. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever said it was correct. <laughs> as soon as I posed the question, Alicia wrote ego. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Who's she? <laughs> She's the one who simplified it down to one word. That's who she is. Yeah. Yeah. That ego thing. I, I heard an interesting uh, word used to describe the process of being less ego dependent and more inner being connected. And that word is collapsed. Hmm. It was used by one of my guests recently. And at first I thought she was using it in the ne negative. And then I realized she was using it as an affirmative, as a way of describing the process of the ego, basically deflating down to the point where it just kind of wraps around the inner being with no inflation going on, so to speak. Mm -hmm. thought, That's a really interesting concept. That is interesting. Yeah. Pop the bubble. Pop, pop the bubble. <laughs> pop the bubble. <laughs> kind of, yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. 
But I mean, because the word ego, I mean, it, it's it's Latin for I. It's identity. Mm-hmm. So the idea is the identity wrapping itself around inner being. Like that sounds pretty cool, mm-hmm. actually. And obfuscating inner being, if you let it. Mm. Yeah. It's knowing the function of the ego, which is trying to serve you and help you and protect mm, you. It is. But, it, but as it is tethered to this reality, which is not the only reality, and in fact, it is an illusion. Mm. But it's being, it's still useful. It's still helpful. Tell us about some of the ways that you think it's helpful. I think that's important to touch on. Protection, um, survival, um, maintaining a status quo, being comfortable, not taking too much risk or just taking enough risk to achieve what you want. It's very, I think very, um, it's productive. It's helpful, but to a certain degree, it, it, it doesn't necessarily, it can be a doorway into a higher experience of self when you understand what it is. But if you are lost within it, then you don't, you don't really ever connect with who you really are, which is the higher self or the divine self. So, so in what way is it important that it is tethered to this illusionary reality that we're in? Because we have to function here. You know, the Bible says you are aliens, you are in the world, but not of it. And so insofar as we are in the world, the ego helps us to navigate here as long as we know what it is and why it is driving us. But we are not of this world. Truly, we are of a different consciousness and experience. And in that landscape, the ego is not as useful except as a doorway. So I, I think it's an important point that that I'm kind of drawing out of you there, which is we need to navigate this world. Yes, of we, course. We're, we're alive here. We're breathing here. This is where we're functioning. We're making our choices. You know, we're learning our lessons. We're experiencing the contrast. We're doing it here. Yeah, we can't. Maybe do an illusion, it here. but it's a damn good one. I gotta tell you. Absolutely, abs- it's a persistent one. It is. <laughs> yeah, it's a persistent. And we one. agreed to come here, so there must be some really incredible stuff about it. Yeah, I mean, right. Come, come on. When you think about it, life is pretty juicy and wonderful. We have children. We fall in love. We have sex. We eat great food. We jump in mm. the ocean. Yeah. It's a wonderful life. It's just what you choose to focus upon. Mm. When we appreciate it that way, but that, of course, that's the, the root, right? That's, that's mm-hmm. how you actually get back to that inner being. You do it through appreciation. And, yes. and when we're appreciating all the great stuff about what goes on in this world, then all of a sudden, all those negative things we associate with ego don't seem all that negative anymore, it, which is it, kind it, of interesting. Well, this is what the kids say when they say, go touch grass, get outside, go out mm-hmm. into nature. Remember, <laughs> you're a part of nature. You know, this, you're here on this planet. It's, there's more than what's happening in your phone or on your television. Really? Oh, my God. <laughs> I believe it. Ooh, but it's so addictive and hard. It's difficult. It's funny. Over time, I've become less and less addicted to it. Though. Good. Good. You know, when you look at how many people are leaving Facebook and Twitter and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Millions. Well, it's really there's, interesting. There's a f- interesting thing to keep in mind about social media which is that we're handling it in the third dimension. I have a phone, I'm mm-hmm. scrolling, I'm typing. But I'm also imagining at the same time, I'm in the fourth dimension, which is a dimension that does not have time. And it's also a dimension where things are made manifest much more quickly than in the, th- the third dimension. So by function of us being anchored here with this tool and imagining we are drawing it back down into this experience and accelerating whatever it is that we're imagining, And so Alicia, I'm wondering if it's the same Alicia, she said that she just has a mission of liking and hearting and loving on social media because she believes that's what she's growing in this world. Because we're having a multidimensional experience when we're on social media. We're creating at an accelerated rate. Yeah, it's uh, incredible who we can... um, I'm very big into soil at the moment, and they've been focused on spreading the word of our... the 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 issue of soil at the moment and uh in the last about a year they've they've managed to get to about four billion people and the only way they could have done that is through social media in the old days mm-hmm. you know you just couldn't have done anything like that mm-hmm. <clears throat> so yeah it's it's incredibly powerful well either way for the good or bad. Well, there's <laughs> the, the polarity of what's possible and good. And then there's polarity of the shadow out picturing itself mm. on Twitter. You know, I just hit the icon of Twitter and I feel bad about myself. I'm just like, <laughs> there is something, there's a thought form 
connected to the icon and the space that is just super negative that I, that I think any sensitive person can feel. So yeah, I had to come off. I had to come off of it all. It's just, and I, so much calmer and so much just more lovely without it experiencing real life in my experience. How are you going to keep your child, your children off it? Because when my daughter was coming of age, this was all kind of happening. And so I didn't, mm. I didn't have the consciousness to say, no, you can't go here and do that or have access to this. Um, how, how are you going to, it's so ingrained in our it's, society. Yeah. It's already happening. It's already happening. And you know, it's like, oh, my friends have all got YouTube accounts. Why can't I have one? And I'm like, honestly, 19 year old you will thank me that nine year old you hasn't got it. Um, the only thing I can do at the moment is I'm not happy with it. But I just explain it's not real. Mm-hmm. People put the best versions of themselves off. There's also some very nasty stuff off. And she's very good if somebody messages her or anything, she comes straight to us. So we're building in those boundaries mm-hmm. and that trust around it. Um, but like today, I think she she wore a little pea skirt today and I was like, oh my God, your legs look incredible. And she was like, I know, I look amazing. And I was just like, I just went up and gave her a big hug. I was like, I love that answer because <laughs> it's obviously not affecting her in that way. She's, right. she's feeling strong enough in herself. Um, but just, just reiterating that she knows that I don't like it. She knows that I think it's detrimental to me. I, I can't say she can't go on it. But what I can do is guide her around the positives of it. Because there are positives of it, as Louis said, with the soil. But it's a tricky one because it it's, it's a different world now, isn't it? Yes, it is. Well, good for you. Good mama. Just Thank being you. conscious, you know, instead of putting your kids down in front of a tablet, like you, you're connecting and you know what's happening. I think that's so mm-hmm. important right now. For sure. Indeed. <laughs> I don't think there's a single situation, no matter what we were talking about, that isn't handled better by facing it rather than trying to avoid it. Yes. Yes. And it's going to be true for kids, for adults and everybody in between, including those of us who are in both camps. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, oh yeah, my hands are up too. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, we're running out of time. Got to get some information from you before we completely oh. run out of time. First one is somebody who wants to work with you. How do they find you? Well, um, they can find me at crystallancompton.com. Don't forget the E and N. Um, I'm also on YouTube. I have over 800 spiritual videos that I've been making for many, many years. And so if you want to learn about really anything that's kind of woo-woo, you could fi- probably find it there. Um, I don't, at this time, I don't work with folks one-on-one anymore, but I typically do workshop things or classes. And I've got a class coming up probably in a couple months on actually timeline work and cord cutting. Uh-huh. Yeah, cutting those cords. Yeah, um, and so, that's great. Yeah, the first place I'll announce that will be on my website. Thank you. Thank you. Very cool. Yeah, we'll make sure we'll include a link to the website so they can find that easily enough. I would appreciate that. Thank you. I feel like I I can't believe an hour has gone by. I feel like we could have taken one of (laughs) these issues and talked talked a whole hour hour about it. It was really fun. Well, welcome to all back because that's exactly how it always works here. It's like, whoa, where did that hour go? Oh, my. Yeah. Uh, one other thing I need to do before we park company, um, because you are such a giver and everybody who comes onto the show is a giver, but everybody who's Thank a giver you. needs to hear this. Givers are constantly giving and people are picking up stuff from them. They're reading stuff that they wrote. They're seeing a podcast they appeared on or hearing a podcast they appeared on, picking something up, taking it with them. And they, and the givers don't usually get credit for that. So I like to give credit. So on behalf of those people you'll never meet, you'll never see, who you've helped in some way and who you're continuing to help in some way, thank you for what you've been doing and what you continue to do because you're making a difference. Oh, my gosh. That hit me right in my heart, Paul. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> E.T. Phone Home. I really appreciate hearing that. Thank you. Yeah. No, seriously. This is, this is important stuff, and you're definitely one of those wonderful, gifted people who are just helping us oh so well. So thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And Louie and Anne-Marie are always helping every week. They they help me like crazy. I mean, not to mention all of our listeners. So They're awesome. 
They are. I love them. I love them. They're fabulous. So thank you guys very much. Thank you to our podcast listeners everywhere. Thank you to the live streamers. We had a bunch of live streamers today. We appreciate you as well. We'll see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you.